You are listening to Lightning Strikes Thrice, the JRPG Games Club podcast that gets in the robot. This is Season 6, Episode 1, covering the opening through the mid-cutscene break after the Woglinde escape in Xenosaga Episode 1. I am your host, Chris Taylor, and with me is... Fletcher Arnett. Ryan Beatty. And Matt Marcus. And X-Bustin makes me feel good. Take it away, <laughs> Fletcher. You got it. Let's just kick right off with all the story we avoided last time. The game begins in 20XX AD, where a research team in Kenya is following a hypothesis and performing an archaeological dig. Imagine still doing archaeology when Mega Man X is alive. Well, <laughs> he's about to be because that's actually in the notes for this next section. But we'll get there. Uh -huh. We see the lead researcher inform they've found something and a symbol has been dug up from inside the earth. My dude pulls a silver object out of his pocket, and it fits perfectly with an indentation, causing the symbol to glow, the earth to rock, and eventually, a giant golden monolith appears in the air over nearby Lake Turkana, firing a beam of light clear through our atmosphere into space. And then the game tells you 4,000 years later. That's fucking all that rules. It's yeah. fucking incredible. <laughs> yeah. Also, the choral song that is uh, yeah. during this initial cutscene fucking rips. Yeah, the music is great here. So, 4,000 years later, we see the golden device, the Zohar, uh, we'll find out soon enough, floating end over end through blank space. Smash cut to a terminal where a team of scientists are about to activate a robot. We're going to cut between both of these scenes over the next few minutes, but the gist is that on a spaceship, the scientists are performing what is basically the empathy test that Mega Man X went through for 30 years to make sure he wasn't going to kill everyone. Meanwhile, another team has discovered this Zohar, and after some dipshit touches it and he disintegrates, mechanical drones then capture it from a distance with force fields. Why didn't they just do this in the first place? The Zohar is brought aboard a spaceship, which is the same one that the scientists reside on, and everyone jumps into hyperspace. This opening cutscene is peppered with a lot of Xenogears similarities, including the Zohar itself, the activation password, which is ye shall be as gods, uh, and a few of the mecha designs, as well as just the entire ship itself uh, bearing some resemblance to the very intro of Xenogears, which also takes place on uh, a ship. I love that the password has a leading Y capital. It's the way you add a capital letter to make your password more secure if you're lazy. <laughs> uh, I did not play far enough into Xenogears to uh, run into the Zohar. Uh, at some point, I got to go back and finish that game. I think the Zohar and the password are all in the opening cutscene of Xenogears. Oh, oh, well, then I just don't remember it. Because they also do the exact same thing where monitors are screaming up warnings and then the words ye shall be as gods appear all around the bridge. I also love that none of them know you don't mess with the Zohar. Uh, uh, I was true. not going to make that joke. <laughs> Look, I was thinking about it. We had to at some point this season, and that's a very apt time. <laughs> <laughs> just get, uh, yeah, yeah, just rip that bandaid off. So the next scene, we have a uh, shitload of uh, techno babble and uh, exposition. It's incredibly overwhelming the first time in, but here is the TLDR that you need to know. 
The android Cosmos is being activated in a virtual space to test her AI routines safely with her uh, lead developer, Shion Uzuki, as the main point of contact. Uh, she is in the virtual world with her. They steal the Ava UI, the activation startup of all the things clicking together and turning green. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Like we said, very anime. Xi'an uh, leads the first R&D division of Vector Industries, which is a, a major corporation and pretty much like it's just really them in like uh, Junior's Foundation, right? The Kukai Foundation that we know of in this world. There's a couple of other factions. OK, yeah. Well, in terms of like corporate entities, there's another major player, but we'll get there. OK, Uh so she and her team are spearheading the development of uh, said android for some kind of combat purpose. And these tests are to make sure that she's still functional because to activate her effectively means everything is going to go to hell. Cosmos is very much, as Fletch put it in here, some season one data in terms of what is emotion, human. Obviously, uh, this will not last forever because she's on the damn box of the game. We also meet the second command of the team, Alan Parsons. Oh, I did not know that was his last name. It's not. It's not? <laughs> it's not. I stuck that in for the joke. <laughs> God damn it. I think it's Ridgely. We call him Alan the Simp on this podcast. Space Elliot. <laughs> he's uh, he's completely in love with Xion. And it's a major arc of these three games, uh, his relationship with her. Every single person on this bridge knows how much Alan is into her and like basically ribs the shit out of him for it. And uh, he's just trying to play it off as like, oh, I have no feelings for her. And then like in another cutscene, he'll be like, well, it's not like I don't want to ask her out. It's just I can't love trying to muscle in on the recently widowed <laughs> for what it's worth. Alan is one of the only responsible adults in this series because like he has feelings for her, but he also knows she's his boss. And yeah. that is a terrible idea. Mm hmm. He was the uh, probably the first anime archetype that I recognized upon this replay through of just like, oh, yeah, the put upon nag who's a subordinate who's always like cleaning up after the like the ditzy professor's messes and being like the things I do for her and all of that. It was just it it jumped out at me this time. Yeah, he's the Hayuga. Shion mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, is uh, like. Totally, like, just keeps forgetting her shit all over the place in this first part of this. Fucker forgets the data for the meeting. That's the only thing <laughs> yeah. you had to bring. Yeah, seriously. Writes bimbos can be brilliant professors and researchers. Shion <laughs> uh -huh. is proof. Shion uh -huh. is suicidally stupid, and it's actually a plot point. <laughs> <laughs> She's just single focused. Also, apparently she is totally hot for Cosmos. I don't really have any other context for that because like I, I was expecting there to be like much more Yuri energy in this first game. and I, I didn't notice it. Well, it's fucking gross in the beginning in a different way, just because Xion is so mom like overwhelmingly yeah. mom like with Cosmos and babies her while Cosmos uh -huh. is extremely a robot. And so just like, <laughs> you know, um, Xion being like, do you feel sad or anything to the machine that she herself built? is uh, oh it's ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous okay but in this scene during the activation test we cut from Xion, who's looking her over and the camera pans up cosmos's body she's ogling the robot mm -hmm. well it also pans up her body too when she's like sitting in like the vr suit it's like 
the first real shot of Xi'an we get is her ass as she walks towards the suit and then a knees up to breasts camera pulley shot. The whole situation is a welcome flip around and is finally true feminism. My stepmom trapped me in the dryer. <laughs> God damn it. Regular host relationship ended with Ryan. <laughs> Um, this dungeon is a tutorial simulating a uh, random warehouse location in 2000s Earth. You make your way through combat and world exploration uh, and then are introduced to the Gnosis after a mini boss mecha fight. We also see Cosmos cannot summon a mecha, which is a rarity in the series, but only applicable for game one. Could she summon a robot? Oh, no, you just stopped getting robots. Mm -hmm. yeah, they change the robots up in the next one and she has one to pilot. Yo, dog. What? Yo, dog. What? I hear you like robots. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> I like how he did it subtly just to mess with you. God damn it. <laughs> he didn't even say it. And you still got mad. What's up, robot? Shion, <laughs> uh. what's up, robot? <laughs> oh, you say it like that. Yikes. <laughs> Uh, okay inside the dungeon we see our first segment address it looks like a weird red door canonically these are weird glitches in the code of construction technology that get formed in encephalon vr spaces or spaceships uh which if opened by finding a corresponding password for them you can get powerful rewards a side note in 1 and 2, you have a third party member for this dungeon, a Realian named Alex, and you will also meet major character Luis Virgil inside this simulation just so that guy doesn't appear for a single hour prior to dying. At the end of the dungeon, a mecha-sized Gnosis boss awaits us. When they approach it, in reality, the team are amazed because Cosmos is having a reaction way outside of spec, and they're trying to pull the plug. Xion is incredibly blind to this and goes, okay, y'all, we're gonna shoot this now over Alan's incredibly reasonable protests. And this first boss, the Drone GX, is basically just a can you recognize a pattern and have you been listening tutorial. It's possible to stumble through it if you're a stubborn shit, but the general would just, Xion summons robot, guard to manipulate turn order and take less damage, combo it down. It will try and lower your defense, use skills to repair that. After that fight, Xion overrides the sim to switch all safeties off for better combat data. The team immediately tries to keep her from getting killed, and she uses her rank to override the shutdown. With the sim legit disintegrating around her, two things happen to Xion. One, she sees a glowing little girl appear from the corpse of the boss, who totally isn't Ellie from Xenogears. And two, Alan yanks her ass out of the VR device before her brain can fry. Combat data be damned. It's so fucking funny. It might as well just be a like a giant cane pulling her off stage. <laughs> it does look that way. Like he comes out of nowhere. He literally <laughs> appears from a hole in reality and yanks her yeah, out. She's like mm -hmm. that 13-2 boss that you fight seven times. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And dude, there's so much talk about the data in this first episode here. So much mm -hmm. the data. Mm -hmm. But it's not combat data because it's all simulated. I don't know why, but now every time somebody says the data, I hear it in the baby voice. 
From Metroid? The data. The data. There's a thing that I'm going to stop pointing out in these notes, but which is true for the entire series. Without Alan, Shion would be dead ten times over. She legitimately has no sense of self-preservation, and Alan, plus a character we're going to meet later in the series, have basically been making sure this brain genius dipshit doesn't electrocute herself going down on a gynoid or whatever else pops into her head at a moment's notice. <laughs> By the end of the series, we will discover this is intentional writing and not the most jarring failure of a protagonist ever. Well, look, it can be both. <laughs> <laughs> the way it pays off is such a beautiful recontextualizing. I will give them the props. Uh, we cut to the bridge of the Willing, Willing, oh God, Willing, Willing Day. Willing Day. I like if it's not right in front of me, like I will always mess that up. Which should it be with a V? In my fucking dreams. Should it be? Should it be pronounced with a V? As German? No, this no. is an English name. Okay, uh, you know, there's random German in this game. You know, it's on the box. They're people, Matt. <laughs> no, the people stuff is next game. It's the people stuff is next game. <laughs> They're yes. people, Matt. <laughs> Telling the Jew about the Speaking pope. of secret Germans. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we, we see some military men talking about the ship's various experiments. The crew on the ship uh, know nothing about the Zohar or Cosmos, other than these things exist. And in the scene, we meet Commander uh, Cherenkov, who is important enough to name, and... Uh, Captain, who is not... Well, yeah. Captain does not have a name. He's just Commander. But he has a sweet mustache. No, also, mm. he's got those fucking sick-ass space battleship Yamato sideburns I love. Yeah. Anime sci-fi Captain sideburns is the best. Mm -hmm. My dude is mm -hmm. Master Asia from G Gundam with a military haircut. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, Cherenkov is a interesting character. He's such a fucking Eeyore. Oh, yes, he is. I like that they build him up as a hard ass and they undercut him like pretty much immediately. And yeah. I find that very effective. It is good. Xi'an is uh, called to the bridge to deliver her combat data. And now we get a chance to wander around the ship because uh, they're not actually putting a clock on when this meeting is supposed to happen. Hilariously, they do. They do? In the cutscene, they say, in a half hour, you need to get up there. Oh. If you don't skip the cutscenes, you're almost guaranteed to go over that just watching dialogue. <laughs> oh, dude, like I, I did so much wandering around this ship. And when I went in, they said, oh, you're 10 minutes late. And I'm like, oh, like, I, I bet she was always good to be 10 minutes late. We should talk about fun stuff that we like on the ship right now, because before we get into cutscenes. Oh, there's so much. My favorite thing is there's the uh, one hollow wall display. And the lady says, oh, we had a hollow of a gnosis the other day and everyone flipped out. Why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's also uh there's, there's also like the soldier who is standing like where all like those blast doors are. Oh, I, I'm the best. Nothing can scare me. Uh -huh. It's the equivalent of, you know, a viral like jump scare screamer gif. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. You can traumatize a guy in the halls by fucking with the bulkhead switches and he gets sealed in five layers of titanium. When you uh -huh. open the doors again to progress, he's on the ground in the fetal position. Yeah, crying for his mom. And, and the woman who, like, works the, like, in the room where that button is to close the doors, she's like, don't, don't touch that button. And then you touch the button, of course. There are glowing orange buttons uh -huh. all over this ship, and multiple NPCs will call them out. She will tell you, please don't fuck with that. Another guy is like, you hear it, don't you? It's just saying, press me. 
<laughs> but when you push uh-huh. the button, she's like, you know, I'm the one that's going to get in trouble for this. <laughs> yeah. The one that I thought was like, there, there's two other ones that are very funny. One of them is uh, there's a crane and the guy's like, don't press this button. It'll drop the crane. And there's a guy standing literally right under that, like the load. And I'm like, oh, he's going to so fucking die. Right. <laughs> Gotta push it. Gotta push Gotta it. Tried to push it. And he's just like, what are you doing? It's like he literally there's a guy standing directly underneath it who doesn't need to be standing directly underneath. It. He's like, it's dangerous. Don't like hang around here. It's like you're literally standing beneath the thing. The nice thing about having uh, everything run by a private company is that OSHA isn't around anymore for that guy to get in trouble for standing under the forklift. <laughs> so this isn't actually the private company's ship. This ship belongs to the military. Yes, right. Marines. You kind of get Vector's perspective on how they see the Marines later when you see that asshole with an X tattoo on his face, like berating <laughs> the dock workers. Fuck, he's the worst. It's very like military bad, Marines bad, Vector good for that one moment. Oh, there's a lot of like um, there are basically three different factions on this ship. There's the uh, the military, like the Marines. You have the researchers, the vector people. And then you have uh, the people who are like in charge of the actual project. Mm-hmm. We, we find out later that the, the whole mission of this is they, they're trying to investigate the disappearance of a planet. And then when they find the Zohar, they go like, fuck, let's just grab that and leave. <laughs> We also find out later that this is dead space. There's literally a cult on this ship trying to tape the fucking monolith. Yeah, there there are some sleeper agents. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also, uh, speaking of buttons, there's also the button that opens the airlock. Hell yeah. Why would you have that? <laughs> Actually, it doesn't open the airlock. It just opens the door without an airlock. There is no airlock in yeah. that particular case. It's just a panel on the side of the ship that opens. It's even weirder if you think about, I actually did this. I went... Wait, is this even the side of the ship? No, it's not. Why is there a vacuum there? Okay. Did you read in the glossary that the only part of the ship that's built is the tiny top bridge part? That's the only yeah. part you're in. It's incredible. The entire oh my bottom part is empty. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Well, they, they did say that, um, like, multiple people say, like, this was done in a huge rush. We just ran out here as soon as we, like, we weren't given a lot of time to prep for this mission. So I think that's probably why. There's a thing that I'm going to highlight because I didn't point it out in the notes, but since we're discussing this, this has been a suicide mission the entire time because they literally didn't bring a single anti-gnosis weapon yeah. expecting to be attacked. Well, they did bring one. Yeah, because they don't have the realians that could do the Hilbert effect. They don't have the eggs that could do the Hilbert effect. The ship can't do it. And Cosmos isn't done yet. Yeah, they're not supposed to have Cosmos, but she's the only thing that can allow them to fight back if aliens arrive. Yeah, this whole thing is like doomed to failure, which I wonder because that has very uh, both Space Battleship Yamato and also Gundam 79 white base vibes of uh, this doomed ship that needs to keep going and is pushed by powers that be to go beyond what anyone should have expected. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of other things you can do on the ship. Uh, You can go back to the tutorial dungeon in the simulator, and you were told by uh, one of the NPCs in the lab area that they left something for you as a gift, and it was in the box where you fought the boss. If you just, like, look at the door at the beginning of that level, uh, you see the box, they're like, oh, we gotta go there, and then you fight the boss and get pulled out, so you don't actually pick it up. But if you go back, it's got the battle passport, which unlocks the eggs battle minigame, which is a uh, four stage fighting game using the mecha, which uh, 
and this is pretty similar to the mecha arena mode in Xenogears. And apparently this is a way to what farm like a lot of uh, tech points early. Yeah, it's diminishing returns after a certain point. You're not going to go from zero to ninety nine here. But if you want an early boost, just fuck around in this thing for a bit. So while we're on the ship, we are introduced to the concept of the UMN, which is in short, both the Internet and also the hub of all galactic civilizations. And it's the link that allows for interdimensional transit of ships. Uh, Xion's PDA AI is a weird rabbit. It introduces itself during another tutorial scene. Yeah, and you, you have conversations with this character. Hate it. Yeah, it's a fully sentient thing. It's weird. You're told by it, hey, you remember how you had that explosion button in that sim? You're going to get it soon, but not yet. Same thing with like your uh, fist weapon that you had in the opening dungeon. You don't have that yet. The entire R&D team gives Alan shit about how much of a softie he is, but also cheer him on when he has to go save Xion again. Because somehow, despite having the internet in her fucking watch, she left the data behind in the research lab. And Alan goes to deliver it to her before the captain just reams her out about it. Uh, we meet the original lead of the Cosmos Project, Kevin, in a flashback. He was a Xion single fling with heterosexual. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, like, <laughs> like a need citation. <laughs> OK, uh. Uh, we meet the original lead of the Cosmos Project, Kevin, in a flashback. He was Xion single fling with heterosexuality <laughs> when he was their boss. <laughs> So Xion is nearly killed by the protective field around the Zohar when she sees the glowing girl again and dives into an ancestral or memory of the original discovery site. At this point, the game shows us that first monolith again in that gray flashback zone, and it becomes clearer that whatever's on the ship is not the same. We will find out by the end of this recording. This is only a Zohar emulator. Zesticle. <laughs> So, <laughs> um, when Shion uh, sees the girl and the scene freezes and she's nearly killed by the Zohar, that's another immediate visual callback to the uh, floating cross uh, scenes in Xenogears. And in that game, the whole like split consciousness, child vision, like ping ping thing uh that visual cue is always uh referencing the trauma of separating the three selves from each other and subsequently trying to repair the broken self and like i am not sure at this point if there's actually going to be a thematic reason why they're using this visual callback or if takahashi and saga just think that it's cool to do this theming uh so i've just i was just chewing on that while this was happening they are right it is cool I can answer that, but it's way more complicated than we're getting into on episode one. Yeah, all right. <laughs> this is the scene where there's a guy with a giant X face tattoo just screaming at dock yeah. workers the whole time. And one of my four notes for this is these guys need a fucking union, dude. <laughs> dude, uh, he's not just yelling at him. He is beating the shit out of them. He backhands multiple. Yeah, he like punches this one guy to the ground and Xion's like, they sure do things different in the military. <laughs> like the guy literally has his neck snapped by how hard he gets punched. It's obscene how violent this is. And like Xion just looks at him being like, well, I guess yeah. that's just how they do it. Boys will be boys. <laughs> Dude, like the most villain faced villain I have ever seen. Yeah, I love our dark future where you either have a STEM degree or you're in the army. <laughs> uh, wait until you see what the other careers you could have are in this world and it's gonna get even weirder man 
Mm-hmm. So Alan finds us while we're roaming around the ship and gives us the data just in time for us to be called by another department rather than do our actual job and go to the head of the ship. For what it's worth, this is the point that someone mentioned where Alan goes, shit, I should have asked her out. But he's like, mm, not the right time. The cutscene where he leaves to go deliver it is amazing because everyone is clapping and cheering for him like you go get her tiger. It's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> it literally says go get her tiger. <laughs> All of the team is super supportive. And they also uh, you'll find out they're kind of hoping like if Alan gets with her, maybe it will like ground her more in reality, which she doesn't live in. Our diversion introduces us to the concept of realians. So Cosmos is a full ass robot, but realians are mass produced artificial humans who are a combo uh, of genetic mods and technology. The tech who asks for Xion's help is trying to reprogram the slot of realians on the ship, but it's not taking. Xion succeeds where he failed because something something empathy. This is where you first meet Lieutenant Virgil, a scar-faced soldier who loathes realians, being a giant morality play villain whose entire existence is just, don't make me laugh. These aren't real people. They're just equipment. More exposition ensues. In short, realians legally have rights, but a lot of folks see them as inferior or subhuman, and uh, realians themselves, when asked in this room, will also be like, no, I'm different. It's okay. I don't care if I die. Virgil's so fucking over the top, dude. Oh, it is like mid game villain speech. But I'm like, dude, this is the first hour. You got to chill out. Yeah, he's he literally does the um, Agent Smith like oh, they stink. I can't stand their stench. He wanders in and sniffs someone on a fucking maintenance bed. Yeah. Who's awake, by the way? <laughs> they, they are not asleep because you talk to them. They're still there on the bed. This is where idiot robot is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to talk to every realian in this room to solve their problems uh, or whatever. And uh, one of them, yeah, keeps saying these like screwed up um, idioms. <laughs> Shion at one point asked, like, where did you get this from? And uh, he's like, oh, a soldier was telling me these. And like at first, because like there's a lot of anti-realian uh, bigotry going on in this first section, I'm sure it continues, but it's like a big point right now. And you think that at first it's because, oh, this soldier is just fucking with this realian and just giving like feeding him bullshit. And then you meet that soldier later and he's just an idiot who just doesn't know these things. <laughs> we got to say for the record, because this is a podcast, realian is just spelled realian in a way that I really hate. <laughs> uh-huh. it- yeah, real Ians will know. True, true Ian's. Yeah. <laughs> Only '90s Ian's will understand this. <laughs> so, um, yeah, one of the things Virgil uh, says to Shion and just to Shion is that uh, you know, get all high and mighty now, lady. I know that you also built in a command code override into these real people, and th- there's a whole lot of uh, Shion here being like, yeah, but you know, the company, we had to. She's being a lib. <laughs> very much so. Shion has giant lib energy. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Shion just wants to go back to brunch. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of her arc for a lot of this first game. <laughs> if it weren't for this Gnosis threat, I could be having brunch inside Cosmos's mind right now. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, there's also a realian that has a, a crush on Alan and doesn't understand what a crush is. 
Mm-hmm. Um, this guy has like seven things of dialogue if you keep talking to him. And Xion's just like, she must be broken. How do you have feelings for Alan? <laughs> it's brutal. Holy and it rough. keeps going. Just brutal, yeah. You know what? It would have been even more brutal if um, if later on Xion's like, I got someone you got to meet, Alan. <laughs> there she is floating by outside in the vacuum. Hi. Rip. Yeah. And like, I think this one has a unique model, too. Like, it has a different model than the other realities, which all wear like red jumpsuits. Uh, but like, there's just something about the design of the characters in this game that make the realians look extra doll like or yeah. like there's just something yeah. about them that makes them more uncanny in a way that I think actually works. Um, that's intentional. They do make a lot of realians look more childlike. And this is going to really kick in with one of our party members. Mm-hmm. That is true. Yes. They have normal person eyes also, which is the thing. Not like anime eyes like Xion has. Uh, they have a better ratio of eyes to face. Xion has like Battle Angel Alita eyes as opposed mm-hmm. to the Realians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we haven't really like described what she looks like because uh, she is like extremely like like her face is like super chibi and she wears these huge like nerd glasses. What if Ritsuko sucked? <laughs> yeah, she reminds me of uh, the main character in Gunbuster, um, whose name is is escaping me right now. Yeah, it's a very particular design. Like, there's just something about the design I really don't like about Xion, besides, obviously, the clothes being weird in general. She has every boy nerd girl signifier you could have. She really does. Yeah. 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 Well, I feel like it's important to call out the realians for actually being, like, a subtle design choice that works because yeah. the overall design of this game is so bland, where nothing sticks to my brain visually in this game. But I do remember, like, oh, yeah, the realians are kind of spooky in Uncanny Valley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they accomplish it later by having them all share animations. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that definitely helps. Yeah, Raelians are, with some exceptions who are party members, all basically of a uniform height and build. You just kind of swap out a hair color, a skin color, etc. After Virgil leaves, she wonders to herself, like, is he a DME addict? And to sort of save some time later, uh, this means that uh, Virgil at some point has literally eaten and must continue to regularly eat realian flesh to remain alive, which is fucking metal as shit. He has scars on his face, if we didn't mention that earlier. The glossary says that that's like a hard dig, like his face is like made out of like toe corns or whatever. Or like, like become scaly or whatever. Yeah, those things you see on him are actually his veins rising above the plasticizing skin. Oh, Oh, good lord. Yeah, he he is nasty to look at. So, uh, yeah, he's been eating realian flesh, which is probably why he uh, is very uh, aware of the stench of them. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a line he has, which I waited to call out until this point with the context. He says, I hate the smell of them, how it's always inside me. Yeah, he's the only uh, character where we uh, run into this. We run into an NPC that does basically say straight up, yeah, he's a DME addict. Everyone knows it. After the scene, uh, you can unlock your first of two side quests. The first is by returning to uh, this room when the cutscene ends. Uh, you'll get an email about a hacker infiltrating Vector Security, and they're asking to borrow some of your AI routines to try and track them. Say yes to this. The second is you meet uh, Mr. Holgar, who insists uh, you call him Mr. Driller. Uh, <laughs> he introduces you to the uh, drilling game mechanic because uh, there's basically been an accident and you use uh, the sort of drill thing to clear the area. And it's actually very cute because uh, there's other characters standing around and they cheer every time you hit it. <laughs> I love it. It's so cool. Also, a level of unsafe and the impracticality of just having this <laughs> drill only here, all of it out of control. Yeah, well, also, uh, like, Mr. Driller uh, finds Xion very cute and says so multiple times in a way that is extremely upsetting, but Xion's just like, uh, no. Not straight, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to make that canon. No, it, it is. Is it really canon? I She really does want to fuck Cosmos. I I have not seen this. Uh, is, that, is that from the later games? Is that in this game? It's clearer later, but it's in this game. Okay. Notably blind to filmic subtext, Matt Marcus. <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, the bridge is basically uh, all into uh, Cherenkov being evil because uh, he is a huge hard ass and just grills everybody about everything and nobody really likes him. We also, like, find out, like, the commander is cool, but whatever. Yeah, the commander specifically says, look, we're not going to get anything better by you murdering your team to get this out. Take some time. Government's paying for this. I don't really care. Go take a nap. Yeah, it's been implied uh, with some of the NPC conversations that uh, there was an accident two years ago that hurt a bunch of people. Uh, we'll, we find out more as time goes on. But uh, that's part of the reason why there hasn't been any actual field testing of Cosmos. Uh, it's all been in simulation. Uh, but they're like one step away from doing a field test. Xion's basically been kind of keeping Cosmos on a leash. Hard to do field tests when there's no fields in space. <laughs> fair, fair. Isn't this also where we find out that uh, Cosmos uh, is uh, th- called an emotionally controlled operating system? Yep. Also on the bridge, this has been kind of a recurring thing throughout the ship if you talk to everybody. But on the bridge, it's really mm-hmm. explicit is that a bunch of people don't think that the Gnosis are real. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, the uh, like they are very far away from whatever the remains of uh, humanity are, because I think they said it's like they've been doing these big gate jumps and like the actual like markers that they used for the jumps are like days apart or something like. Yeah, the, this has been yeah. a very long trip to get out there. And then they just grabbed the saw the Zohar, grabbed it and turned around immediately. For reference, it's mentioned during all of this that. From the opening cutscene where they grab the Zohar emulator and jump to when we return to real space around when you get control of your character is five days. Yeah. Yeah. It's also worth explicitly mentioning that they were out to investigate the missing planet, but had other orders. That's if you find anything weird in space, grab it and abort the mission. Yeah. So they are out here actually looking for this. 
they just don't know it other than a couple of guys. Yeah. And like a lot of the soldiers are just like, bring it on. Like we, we are looking for a fight. We're bored. Little do they know. Oh, uh, there's also a. Did, did y'all see the uh, the couple that's making out in one of the rooms? They get so mad at you. It's so funny. <laughs> Why would you come in here? <laughs> the funnier thing is that there's a guy outside who like if you talk to him before you go into that room, he goes like, oh, look at him. They're not even trying to hide it. And then you talk to him again. He goes like, hey, 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 hey be quiet. It's starting to get good. <laughs> <laughs> and then it, when you go and interrupt them and you go back to talk to them again, he's, he's just like, oh, it was just getting heavy. Wait, that's a different guy. Fuck. It's a, there's a different guy outside. Yeah. Who's watching. Yeah. The voyeur. <laughs> that's incredible. Uh huh. And uh, this this comes back in a big, bad way. A lot of NPCs in this game are kind of amazing in ways that I can't call out all the time. So y'all are going to have to mark down your favorites. Yeah. There's a <laughs> lot of really good little micro personalities here. And then also you know, pervs. Yep. Um, so another little side story that I want to point out that I thought was cute was the uh, couple who were trying to meet each other for a date at different information boards. And they kept oh, being yeah. like, um, I'm here. Where are you? Well, I'm here. Where are you? I thought that was that was nice. Nobody has cell phones. Yeah. There's also a soldier who is obsessed with uh, this, like, I think it's like a girl idol band. And uh, he's watching uh, the um like a hologram of them and you can turn it off but uh i i didn't actually turn it off because the the woman standing next to the button saying like oh if you turn it off he gets really really mad and turns it back on and he does get really really mad and turn it back on yeah uh-huh why would you do that i was watching that it's got like some weird industrial music that like like dynamically increases as you walk closer to the hologram which is like does not match the description of what the music sounds like at all i believe we call that new type music <laughs> Yeah, there's just a lot of little things in this area. And a lot of it is like preparing you for when this turns into a dungeon spoiler, because like there's a part where the guy's like, oh, there's an electric gate. Don't go near that. It'll stop the gnosis, but it'll also hurt humans. And there's a tag game you can play. (laughs) Yeah, the tag game is technically an optional tutorial for what is one of the hardest parts for a lot of people in this opening segment. Mm hmm. Because we're about to do a stealth section since we can't hurt the Gnosis. And at this exact junction, you are going to have to gate them around a obstacle in the path so that you can run past. They're too fast. They are pretty fast. Extremely hard. Enemies are always a little faster than you. You cannot straight up run away. There's a little bit of like their AI you can exploit because when they turn, they turn a little wider or like they'll take more time to like round a corner and you can get a little distance on them. But yeah, like I I failed this multiple times before, even though I knew what to do. All I'm saying is if they move at 1.1 times player speed, they should move at like 1.08. It's just a hair too aggressive. So the thing it's supposed to teach you is that most enemies are larger than you. They turn so wide because the Gnosis mm-hmm. models can't corner like you can. Yeah. That's what you're supposed to be learning is how much you need to use geometry. But these are like regular sized dudes, so they move like you do, <laughs> which makes it harder. Uh, no, they actually give a little no? space around the corner. That's how you okay. get that lead. Gotcha. Uh, also, like we didn't mention it, but you don't have an option to run from battles that's like stock. You have to use like an item or a skill. Yeah, the game explicitly says, like basically says this ain't a baby game. There's no escape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your your chance to escape was before you ran into a dude, dipshit. Yeah. Yeah. So like they're, they're not joking. Like you get caught, you're you're dead. Yeah. And it's actually very funny because you do 
if you do get into a, a fight, like when you first run into the Gnosis, like you try to do one attack, it does zero damage and then it just kicks you out of the battle mercifully. And that's the game's way of telling you touch nothing, yeah. touch no one. Yeah. But let's let's get to that. I love that the Gnosis are just the spirit within. <laughs> they really are. Yes, <laughs> they, yeah. they super are. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, after we, you know, fuck around for as long as we want, uh, Xi'an uh, goes to take a nap. And uh, this is the part where we find out that Trankov is working for a terrorist organization and they are sending the Gnosis after the ship. Wait, what? Yeah, they're not doing that. They're not doing that? No, no. They're sending reinforcements. Yeah, they're sending their men to intercept this because they uh, want okay. to get the Zohar. The original plan was that Cherenkov was going to basically suicide jump the thing into hyperspace so they could pick it up. Right, right, right. But they, they know that the Gnosis is coming and uh, the military does not. Yeah, they're aware of that fact, but that's it. The reinforcements they were sending were to steal the Zohar. And this is very funny because the remainder of uh, the time we see Cherenkov, people are saying, man, he's just like berating the vector people saying, why isn't the weapon ready yet? And it's because he knows he's going to be screwed. Yeah. yeah, it's also clear that he kind of hates Xion and Vector on top of that. Yeah, well, because they exist outside of his authority structure. Right. That will also make more sense when you find out more about the political factions. Yeah. Yeah. But the gist is also like this is where you find out like the hardened exterior you know, hard ass that Trankov puts up is a, you know, is completely a facade because he is extremely sniveling. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a whiny little Eeyore baby. Yes, he is. And it's great. But yeah, so she takes a nap and then she has another dream in black and white and she uh, sees the little girl again and then bad shit happens. Does anything happen in this cutscene? This cutscene did not play in BCSX2. Uh, no, it really no. Okay. I mean, the the one thing I will say about this first section is that it does build up a lot of suspense because they keep bringing this stuff up. But I'm, I'm glad they don't like over explain it or have, you know, having Xi'an talk to herself too much about it. Yeah. Like the pacing of that part is actually pretty good, which I can't say a lot about the pacing in this game. <laughs> you know, um, so the 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 cut scene that wouldn't play is just it's where we first meet Jin uh, and we see kind of their semi estranged absentee sibling relationship. And then you see uh, the girl not only appearing in her dreams, but also appearing on the ship. Also, like Jin, uh, he like tries to shame her for like not uh, returning home to like honor the memory of her parents because uh, her parents are dead. And, and uh, I, I think at this point, the first Milsha incident has been mentioned. Uh, if you talk around um, with a bunch of people, uh, all you know, up to this point, 14 years ago, something called the Milshan conflict happened. A lot of people died. Milsha doesn't exist. They literally founded a planet called Second Milsha for the survivors. Yep. Mm -hmm. And the Realians were involved. Yes. Yeah. Wasn't Virgil there? He explicitly says that later. Yes. Yeah, this is that that comes in his big villain speech. But like you, you do hear it from other people. Like there is another NPC that you talk to who is very bigoted against Realians. And then you talk to like the character ne next to him. And she says like, oh, yeah, his parents were murdered by Realians. Uh, so he's a little bigoted, but, you know, don't mind him. <laughs> mm -hmm. For what it's worth, Jin does make clear that both of the Uzuki parents were killed in the Milshin conflict. too. Right. Yes. Yeah. So during her nap, Cosmos just begins booting up out of nowhere um, emergency alarms go off all over the ship. Uh, Xia wakes up and begins panicking, having a PTSD flashback to the last time this happened. 
where she is uh, cradling Kevin's body in her hands under the sight of a prototype Cosmos. The emergency status means that all the bulkheads are locked off, so we have to take the long way to the lab. To top off the problems, Gnosis appear en masse ahead of the Woglinde. Uh, this is where we first discover what the Gnosis actually are. Space ghosts, they cannot be attacked by normal weapons because they don't occupy real space. They stretch from coast to coast. Um, <laughs> also, the touch <laughs> of them turns <laughs> you into salt. Is that what happens? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. people become pillars of salt. That rules. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when we regain control, we're in a stealth segment. Uh, welcome to hell. This part is brutal. Dude, the cutscene where they appear in rules. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. The, this is great for tone, but I know multiple people who stopped this game at this point. Oh, because the ensuing, ensuing sequence was so frustrating for them? Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, the thing is, like enemies field of vision is not very long. And like if you walk, you can probably get around the majority of the enemies unless you're like really in a uh, specific like tight point. Yeah, there's two things that help here that a lot of people don't think about. One, the Gnosis are kind of blind. So if you're doing the walk, you can get around. And two, you need to learn how to do the corners thing that that hide and seek tutorial was teaching you about because right. if you don't you cannot make it through some of these areas yeah there's one straight up where they do the same exact thing as the tag yeah but yeah like there's a lot of bodies bleeding out and there are characters you talk to once and you come back to and they're dead yes <laughs> like make out lady yeah make out lady dies uh which is very sad and her boyfriend's like if only i were stronger r.i.p to make out lady but i'm different <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's also the, the dude who tells you about the uh, the the doors. Um, they name him. I think it's like uh, Sergeant Swain, Swine or something. Swain. Swain. Yeah, Swain. And uh, you actually watch him bleed out like the blood actually like does show up on the floor. Yeah, that's a lot. Also, shout out to that guy. My life's mission is opening weird doors. <laughs> and he passes it on to you, the only person devoted enough to science to solve this mystery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he, he gives you, uh, I think, the number seven key, which is like the door he was standing right in front of. And uh, there's a robot arm in there. So go grab that. Yeah. Anyhow, your job is to return to the lab via the long way around the ship. However, touching a Gnosis is suicide. You get one tutorial wherein Xion demonstrates you cannot touch them with weapons. And then she goes... Well, I'd better not do that because battles don't have a way to run away. And unless you have one of the items that lets you do that, touching them just game overs. Mm -hmm. So you are going to Mr. Magoo your way across <laughs> the ship with the occasional cutscene and destroying everything behind you to slow them down. You are straight up detonating machines, sealing other people in with the Gnosis just to save yourself. Basically, everything you could fuck with, you do now, yeah. like, including the hologram yeah. thing. Yep, and the airlock. Uh, I, I'm very disappointed we didn't get to touch the crane button because it does that in a cutscene. I wanted to drill yeah. a bunch of doses. That would have been the best. I know, right? That would have been fun. Also, this segment basically reveals the Gnosis will make no consistent sense from the jump because the cutscene has them turn people to salt with a touch and phase through any object. But you're going to see one of them start pummeling a dude into jelly Every one of them will be stopped by you closing a door or putting up a physical barrier. And at one case, a burning barrel is just like, well, I guess I'm done here. 
<laughs> Even 4,000 years in the future, enemies are stopped by loading zones. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes also the Gnosis will grab Xion, but because she has plot armor, nothing happens to her. <laughs> we will learn in a cutscene that plays as you reach a certain part of this, which kind of functions as a checkpoint, that Xion is even stupider than she seemed in that Remember how she left the data in the labs? Well, she also left her phone and everything yep. she had there. <laughs> yep. So nobody can call her. Yep. Good job, Alan. You guys deserve each other. <laughs> <laughs> so then the power cuts suddenly in the middle of the scene and a pretty good moment occurs because the only light in the labs is now Cosmos's pod glowing more and more as she just emerges slowly. <laughs> There's a good part earlier, uh, too, where like there's a heartbeat and it's like showing like moving up towards the pod and then it cuts away to like a different thing. Like there's a good fake out before she actually gets out, which I thought was like actually pretty well done, like cinematography, like direction wise. There are a few very well directed cutscenes in this game, and it sometimes makes the more bland, slow paced expository cutscenes that are the majority of the cutscenes in this game that much more frustrating for me because it's like you see when they could put the money and the time and, and the resources into a really well blocked and paced cutscene that has like a good visual identity and shit, uh, they're capable of it. Uh, yep. It's just it's just only like 10 percent of the cutscenes are that mm -hmm. I wish the sword was just a little longer so it would be cool and not dumb. I mean, it's a frog <laughs> knife, dude. I mean, it's basically a box cutter. <laughs> I know, but it's not cool. I want it to be cool. I want it to be a sword. Good news. <laughs> next game, it gets an upgrade. Yeah, yeah, I remember it being a sword. And then I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> R extends. So Cosmos's first move after she wakes up is to hack security and find both Xion and the Zohar, which is being stolen by the face tattooed dipshit. Meanwhile, Xion nearly gets gunned down by wandering through a war zone. Virgil <laughs> is extremely not happy to see her. She should have been so dead. This cutscene is incredible. This scene yeah. rules. We have to focus on this because Virgil is using the Reallians as human shields for his squad of Gundam-wearing dipshits. They go, okay, something's coming on the life scanners. Everyone focus fire, and Xion rounds the corner, and everyone just starts unloading. 
it's literally that that scene in um Pulp Fiction where the shots just happen to miss her somehow. Yeah. It's because they're aiming high for giant monster size and not at ground level for a lady. Well, some of them hit the ground in front of her. Like, and if you look at where like the bullet holes are on the wall, it should have gone right through her. Oh yeah. She should be dead, but she lives and Virgil just goes, What the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> what are civilians doing running around right now? Uh it's it's pretty wild. Oh, we skipped the bit where uh we see a flashback of Kevin talking with uh, Shion and saying, I don't know what I wanted to say to Cosmos when she first wakes up and uh, Shion's just like, oh, good morning, Cosmos. <laughs> and mm -hmm. Kevin's like, oh, my God, it's fucking amazing. <laughs> I, I'm fucking like, are you serious? This guy is, has been losing days of sleep, he says, because he didn't think good morning instead of being like, hi, robot. Kevin was the perfect person for Shion on multiple levels. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I believe it. <laughs> I also, uh, I want to emphasize that during this cutscene, like the tone immediately gets operatic in an anime sense. It becomes a scold off where it's, you have no right to play God with their lives and, and, and all of this stuff. This is what anime Pickett's charge would be like. Oh, 100%. <laughs> like if the Gettysburg movie was an anime, that's what this would be like. Uh -huh. Yeah, this is also the cutscene where during a cut, we see the Gnosis ship, which is a giant whale that reflects all of the beams back. Um, we also see that like everyone who encounters Cosmos until the second the Cosmos and Shion are united, I seem terrified of her, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, fair. Um, this is where, while we see Cherenkov, uh, running away to the escape pods, like a little piss baby, he is scared of a, uh, a sleeping destructive force saying, you know, the Gnosis are totally insignificant if it awakes, which is again, some more, uh, Jungian shit, some more Xenogear shit all over the place. Mm -hmm. And well, he says that he he's doing a suicide mission because uh, like he's going to try to put the Zohar into hyperspace uh, while he is not protected because apparently humans can't survive a hyperspace flight without protection, which makes a lot of sense. But yeah, he, he does tell um, X-Face guy and uh, the other uh, traders <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, to uh, to escape in the skate pods because uh, he was going to do it himself. Th this is also the bit where Virgil gets his big moment while Virgil and Shion are in the hallway, the Gnosis start piling through the walls again because they can do that in cutscenes. Mm -hmm. And one mm -hmm. of them absorbs and merges with the mecha yep. of one of Virgil's dudes. And this comes back yes. <laughs> pretty quickly. Yeah, like the, the eggs style uh, Gnosis is pretty sick. I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often. Yeah, I don't know if it ever happens again. There are a lot of uh, good ideas seeded that are explored exactly once in this game. A lot of them on the Wiglinde. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, one cutscene later, all of Virgil's squad are dead, except for a handful of Reallians who are uh, dying. And uh, what he does is he he manages to grab um, Xion's uh, personal little console, which looks like it kind of looks like half of a DualShock. If you look at it right, but he's like, all right, now it's time to use that override code that I know you have and that I learned because in second Milsha, 
I had to eat a whole lot of realians. And while I was doing that, I ended up learning about this, which I don't know how that works. Yeah, we, we find out that uh, the war in Milsha was against the realians and it was like really bloody and that that's where his bias against realians happened. And that's also where he became a DME addict. Uh, so he ends up having this ridiculously like over the top conversation with uh with Xi'an about like, if you love them so much, why did you program this in? And Xi'an's like, well, company protocol. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He says, you are a smart enough person that you could have removed this from any of them under the guise of maintenance. Why mm -hmm. didn't you? Checkmate lib. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. Exactly. It even like quotes the charter. The Milchen charter, yeah. Where he says like, okay, uh, realians uh, can just be used as tools, uh, whatever humans in command want. Yeah, when the person in command of an operation deems necessary, which as one of the only survivors is Virgil. Mm. Yeah, this is definitely what UN means by equal rights, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Look, I'm saying some people just slightly less equal, <laughs> <laughs> less equal than others. Uh, so, yeah, he he takes over the realians. He has them like grab the gnosis by the legs and like getting dragged on the floor, uh, which is weird because they're not in this reality. I don't know how they can grab them, whatever, uh, and blows them up, which blows up the bridge in the hangar. And then he finds out that uh, the gnosis can just fly because, you know, they made it this far through space. I don't know why he couldn't think he can get over a bridge. Uh, I will say probably my favorite line read in the game is that as they start flying, Virgil just goes, son of a bitch. It's very good. It's great. Yeah. So uh, they end up back, I believe, in the Realian uh, tune-up room. And uh, Xion gets grabbed by a Gnosis, uh, starts turning into salt. And then like a red hole starts boring its way through the wall and a laser shoots through, you know, hits the Gnosis in the arm, which makes it drop Xion. And then Cosmos just busts through the wall like she's uh, like fucking Kool-Aid man. And uh, she turns on uh, something in her visor, uh, which Xion uh, calls out as the Hilbert effect, which basically takes all of the Gnosis out of their extra dimension and put them into normal dimension so you can shoot them with bullets and stuff. This cutscene rules, by the way. It's great. This is the extremely cool cutscene where like Cosmos flips around and kills like 20 Gnosis 20 different ways. Very good. Yeah. yeah. One lands on her and she just cuts it in half from inside, yep. which is how yep. we see the blade. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's it's rad. And also, like, I think they do a good job, like talking about, you know, the stuff with the realians earlier with Cosmos. Like when she goes into like battle mode, like battle android mode, the animations are just creepy, like non-human enough that it's like really effective cosmos says that uh her mission is to get the uh zohar out uh safely uh to vector and to also protect any vector employees along the way but this is when the uh, gnosis mecha hybrid shows up and we get to fight virgil joins the party temporarily here it is incredibly clear from this first fight he will be a regular party member since he has just two uh attack animations uh no techs or skills and doesn't gain xp uh, he is stronger than you, even though his higher level, even though all the shit sucks real bad. Um, <laughs> he will die in front of the Zohar 20 minutes from right. now. We're just going to skip there. Um, 
Uh, yeah, let's just skip there. Yeah, nothing die. happens in this walking through. We can fight the enemies and stuff, too. Yeah, and I actually, I, I ran the wrong way down the ship for a while for a few screens for no reason, and then I realized, oh, no, this sucks, and turned around and went back. And this is where also I fought the, the three, like, flying dudes. Yeah, the hardest fight in the game. The hardest <laughs> fucking fight. Oh, yeah. There's some cruel ambush enemies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they're like blocking the hallway and you can walk around them if you're really careful. But I did not walk around them the first time. And these guys uh, like essentially if you hit them with any regular attack like once or twice, they uh, they get a boost. They go and they attack the the entire party with like a laser rain attack. It's ether attacks. They absorb ether. Yes. Yeah. They fucking. And because all of your distance attacks are basically ether attacks, like Mm -hmm. you're just getting destroyed. And there's three of them the first time you fight them and they hurt real bad. This is your chance to wander around the ship and do stuff you couldn't do before because you don't have the explosion button. Um, like those lightning gates where you can uh, bait the enemies into the box to break it and you get some good yep. shit in there. Yeah, but uh, there are some some of these fights are like pushovers and then there's like the golems and those flying dudes, which are bastards. Yeah, a thing that runs through this series, which I hate, is that in an SMT game, encounter design is very tuned to kind of teach you you need to have a variety of skills or build for a protection, and it gives you the tools to do that. In this game, sometimes you're just going to run face first into a brick wall because enemies were tuned in a bastardly manner. Mm -hmm. And they're just regular encounters. And you really don't have a lot of healing uh, capabilities at this point in the game. Oh, please. Those kits are like dirt cheap. I had 99 of them from one clear of the dungeon. I just went and bought them all. Okay, I didn't I didn't buy any, which is why I had zero going into the boss battle. After after Final Fantasy 15, why would you not just buy Uh 99 potions right away? Man, I don't know. (laughs) All I know is that like. I, I chewed through so many of them because during the uh, the mecha boss, like it, its whole thing is that you hit it with ether attacks and it'll uh, start countering you. And I hit it with like three combos before I realized that was happening. And so it was just destroying me. I think in this section, we can also blow out the back walls of the makeout room and there's some treasure in there. Yep. Blow out the back walls of the makeout room. I forgot to do that. But yep. I think that's where the segment address that lets you open the door is. Yeah, you can do it early. So I did it during the stealth sequence because I have save states because you can just barely grab it and get out of the room in time. Yeah, you could have done this earlier. It's just now you have a party. So touching a gnosis is an instant death. Yeah, yep. right. Eventually, we go back to the uh, to the Zohar room. Um, when we get there, uh, Virgil dies basically right away uh, after this cool ass cutscene of Alan and Virgil with like assault rifles yes. and Cosmos with dual miniguns, just holding off waves of dudes while people anime dialogue at each other. Love to yeah. see Alan fucking up the Gnosis. Love to see it. It's so cool. I love it. Alan is incredibly competent. Uh, yeah. yeah, Shion even grabs a rifle and knows how to use it. <laughs> yeah, she gets a sniper rifle, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is cool. Yeah, we didn't probably mention it, but like Cosmos just summons these guns out of nothing. <laughs> like she just like pulls out her arms and then these two like triple mini guns pop out and it's ridiculous. I think what you mean is she's equipped with ballistics. OK, so <laughs> both Shion and Cosmos and later some other characters, but it's mostly these two. 
use the UMN in a way that is functionally the anime concept of hammer space and that they can just pull yep. items out of nowhere. Uh-huh. Xion's big red arm brick slash weapon is one of those. It's the MWS or multi-weapon system. I'm not calling it that. It's the red brick. It's the punch glove. <laughs> yeah. Later on, it will be the blue brick because she becomes a cop. <laughs> oh, and yeah, that <laughs> happens. Fuck. Yep. Oh my God. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I've played through all of these recently. I remember everything. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they're they're being pushed back to the Zohar. They get pincer attacked and Virgil is trying to keep them all alive. He's shooting at a Gnosis. And Cosmos turns around, sees him between her and the Gnosis, and just opens fire with both chain guns through uh -huh. him. This happens because a uh, Gnosis grabs Shion through the wall, and she doesn't see it happening because she's looking down the sniper scope. And then Virgil tries to get in between them, and that's why Shion just fucking shoots at him. You mean Cosmos? Yeah, whatever. This really upsets Shion, uh, and like... Cosmos is all of a sudden so sassy in this scene. My directive is to keep Vector employees alive, and now there's exactly enough escape pods. Yeah. Like, and, and, and she said uh, also, like, uh, like if, if you want to feel remorse, it is best that you survive. <laughs> yeah. So good. She actually says, get in the escape pod, because if you don't stay alive, A, you can't mourn him, which nobody else in this room is doing, and B, if you die here, he died for nothing. <laughs> it's so funny. It's and it's very um, it's like the the only thing besides forgetful and uh, ditzy and caring of Cosmos that that Shion really does here is most of her dramatic scenes are her being extremely self-righteous uh, and other people pointing out either the hypocrisy or uh -huh. the like you know nonsensical nature of of her high horse uh and it's so it, it is good that cosmos hoists her this time instead of you yeah. know virgil the uh evil robot blood addict we didn't actually mention the very first time these two interact cosmos is dunking on her in this way because Xion's going do you have emotions are you sad about the fact that you don't get to wake up yet and cosmos just says I am not programmed on how to handle something that illogical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she like also tells she like in this scene, uh, like she's like, don't you feel bad at all? And she's like, you programmed me. You shouldn't. If anybody should know how I should react to things, it's you. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. The initial dunking is like my emotions really only exist to facilitate interactions with humans who are hysterical, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why uh, we would have programmed something like that for something that will be partnering with Xion. <laughs> Since Xion refuses to leave because she's still trying to deliver a lecture, a boss appears before anyone can escape. This is the first real boss of the game. Like, this is a way you might wipe here. Mm -hmm. So first things first, when the Minotaur fight begins. Also, we haven't mentioned it, but um, every Gnosis is named after a creature out of mythology, but none of them resemble those in any nope. way. Absolutely not. The Minotaur, for instance, is not a giant beefy bi-legged thing with horns, but in fact, 
a floating miniature whale with three sunbow-like fins coming off of it. It's really hard to describe what these things look like. They look very organic. Most of them will be blue or purple. This is brown, which I guess is why it gets to be the Minotaur. Mm. And generally, they just have lumps. Yeah, I brought up Gunbuster when talking about Shion's appearance, but the aliens from Gunbuster also seem to be a reference point for the Gnosis. Yep. So when this fight begins, throw Shion in the mech ASAP. Uh, <laughs> you do not... We haven't mentioned it yet, but Cosmos has high defense and stats because she is a full-ass robot. Shion is made of meat, and she will get torn up if you remain in human form with her and don't throw her into the armored cockpit. Guess what I did. (laughs) (laughs) Did Shion get wrecked for you? No, we survived, uh, but she basically got put on, like, healing duty every round because we were just like redlining on health, especially after uh, we started getting those uh, like the big attack, the gravity pulse. Yeah. Yeah. So like it was manageable, but it was like not pretty. <laughs> this fight is made dramatically easier if you did a lot of exploring and you got the um, rocket launcher system. Yeah. Oh, so I did not get that uh, mm-hmm. because it does like 150 to everybody. So then you Cosmos can finish off the two flying guys in one hit each after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are two flying enemies called Skyfish here. You want to take them out quickly because this thing doesn't resummon them, but it will really combo you hard when there are three attacks to your two. Oh, yeah, because like they do like 70 damage to Xion and you have less than 170 health at this point, probably. Yes, especially given that the other two guys, if you leave them alone, will boost the boss. Right. Oh, I did not see that. Yeah, these guys combo you you need to kill the skyfish mm-hmm. this is a place where like especially because i wasn't using the eggs because i'm an idiot uh like i really wish the boost was more of a thing in these early battles because i really could have used it <laughs> so you need to be manipulating the slot reel to get the boost up turns right. for you you can just get dunked on because the initial slot state ha- is random yeah it's true and so is first turn turn order After that, it's based on, like, your speed stat, but the initial going into every fight is completely random. But you want to start choosing the boost turns or the crit turns are your team, preferably both. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, like, it's... Like, the thing is, you need two boost points to use boosts, and you start at zero, and it could take several rounds, yeah, unless you land on the boost and, like, it's a time when you can actually attack or, like, do a lot of attacks. Otherwise, it just feels like you're kind of really behind, and enemies will boost the shit out of you. The boss did boost me a few times. Oh, yeah. You want this boss to use lightning on you. It's the weakest move it has. It's single target. And if you explored the dungeon, you got a special coat for Xion that reduces an, any electric damage. The big issue is it's most likely going to pull out Diffusion Beam, which shreds the whole party at once, doing something in the range of 30 to 60 when you only have 250 to 350 max HP, one of those on a person who can't heal. Furthermore, At about half health, it's going to pull out a two-turn charge-up move, Gravity Pulse. It's basically Diffusion Beam times two. The first turn is a warning, guard immediately. If you do not guard, 
this will probably wipe a Xion without a robot. And it might wipe the robot depending on how well the health is holding up. Unfortunately, after this fight, the Waglinde is way too fucked. The Gnosis grab the emulator while you are locked down in combat. The Waglinde capsizes explosively. And we end this recording session with Cosmos and Cherenkov in his spacesuit standing on top of Xion and Alan's escape pod, alone in the vacuum of space while the Gnosis warp out, and we see Cosmos fire a tracker into one. This is where the game asks you if, after 20 minutes of boss fight and cutscenes, you would like to save before 40 more minutes of cutscenes. Yep. <laughs> and that is the end of the episode. Um, does anyone have any closing thoughts on the opening of the game? You know, despite the kind of pacing issues that are going to plague the rest of the game as far as, you know, movement speed and loading times and, and, and times between dialogue lines, um, this is a great opening bit. Like, the uh, the mini games end up being tutorials. There's a lot of side content that you can go explore that actually has some character. Uh, there's some drama and tension in the story, and, like, it functions as a good opening dungeon. I really enjoyed this Woglin Day section. Even though your village is burning down, and that's really what this is, right? Like, your village burning down at the beginning of, like, Wild Arms or whatever. Right. You care about it a little more because all of the NPCs actually have are, like, have little characters instead of just dispensing information the game wants you to know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They have flavor themselves. Mm-hmm. Just the setup with like the three different factions on the ship sort of and plus the realians, depending on like, you know, how you count them. There's a lot of like micro stories happening here. You know, there's also like other random NPCs that like show up. Like there's one that like says, hey, you want to grab coffee later at some point? You know, like there's there just seems to be like relationships that are already established that sort of do flesh things out. But I looked at the clock last night right before you go to bed and it turns into a dungeon. And I'm like, three hours already? <laughs> yeah. You spend a lot of time here. You can spend a whole lot of time. The ship is pretty big and they're yeah. trying to set up. Ah, this is the Starship Enterprise. People have lives here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the big success is that it feels lived in and not like it sprang into existence right before you booted up the game. Totally. And to carry the village burning down JRPG intro, I care a lot more about a village burning down when I see that the village, like you said, Chris, is lived in because usually JRPG villages have the noble but good syndrome where you're just like leaving behind this totally idyllic place. And here I feel for people because I see that they're people. Yeah, it's it's not all shucks. We're poor, but we make it work. Right. It, yeah, it's not childhood innocence <laughs> as right. a town. And the scale really sells it because your usual opening town will have 10 to 12 people in it. We're probably around 50 plus characters you can speak to and interact with on this ship before anything starts. And they, and they all, all have, have like, like three, three different lines. Yeah. Yeah. I was going <laughs> to say three lines deep. Almost all of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like some I mean, not always is it is it valuable, but sometimes it is. And the majority of your fucking six hours you could spend in this intro section is waiting for the slow ass text crawl. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. So like. The vaporizer, it, am I the only one who thought that, like, the explosion effects and sounds are, like, super, super loud on that thing? They are extremely loud. <laughs> yeah. It's big. very dramatic in a way mm -hmm. that's like, holy shit. It's meant to be because, again, the, the whole blind enemies thing, that's supposed to be loud because it will 
instantly queue in any enemy to you and some later dungeons take advantage of that yeah i just i found a little bit of the trying to get them to be in the blast radius like if i have to get one to chase me into uh, an exploding barrel that i can use to my advantage it's a little finicky because they're they're fast and like sometimes it takes like a second for like the fire to like register on the enemy before you can engage it's a little it's not tuned perfectly yeah we kind of spoke around this there are multiple colored barrels or traps in the world that if you detonate them near an enemy since they have a physical presence you can inflict a status or change the battle in a way that benefits you if you then engage them but it doesn't affect you as far as i know like if you blow up a barrel and you're standing right next to it you're fine (laughs) yeah you're fine (laughs) you'll never be at a disadvantage from it. The worst way this can go is if you miss and they hit you while you're in the gun animation. Yeah. Which happened to me. (laughs) Oh no. It was fine, but yeah. Do you have anything? I'm going to be quiet on this one because I know what's coming and I can't say a lot right now. I've, I've spoken most of my piece throughout this. I kind of have to be quiet because I'm basically the fucking, What's his name from Xeno Gears? The dick from the Sky Palace. U- Uzuki. I can't remember his name. Saitan? Yeah, Faitan. Thank you. I've seen things. <laughs> Matt, are you going to finish the game? Yeah. Once the election's done, I'm going to have a lot more free time. <laughs> Let's do commercials. Share your commercials. Yeah. Uh, Boku no Stop. Both uh, the free version where we're watching Cyborg 009 and the Patreon backers only version, which we are covering JoJo's for now and probably G Gundam soon. Uh, Yeah, check those out. They're a lot of fun. I have a website that you can go to that shows you all of the things I'm working on. Hellscaper.com. Enjoy it. It has links to many podcasts that I am on. It has links to some of the podcasts on this network that I am on or edit. It also has rating and other things. I'll see you there. You can find me, Ryan, on social media at Weeplord if you would like. Uh, and also, I fully endorse Chris's upcoming endorsement. Uh, or sorry, upcoming plug. Guys, check out shoehorns. They're great. <laughs> Especially the long ones. So you don't have to bend over to put your shoes on. Well, that's, just, that's just an important picture. I can't do that. Uh, yeah, I was I was actually about to play off of that. Have you ever thought about a paper towel holder? <laughs> Fuck me. Uh, I miss that show so much. Oh man, you can listen to Ryan and I's new podcast, Lightning Strikes Thrice Extreme, by visiting our Patreon at Tentacle.pro. And kicking in as little as a buck a month, $5 will also get you the JoJo's podcast. Uh, Lightning Strike Thrice Extreme is this podcast, but about Final Fantasy XIV, the MMO. That's all until next time when we'll be talking about the first large chunk of cutscenes. Specifically for anyone who wants to play along, play up until you return to control of your actual party. Pretty exciting. It's incredible. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs> These cuts are incredible. David Bowie. See ya. Like I said up top, thanks for being a patron. Your continued patronage helps making these shows not be a financial burden without having to put ads in them. Since you're already a patron, you can help us out by reviewing your favorite shows on the podcatcher of your choice, 
telling a friend about our podcast, or sharing an episode on social media. In case you didn't know, we have lots of podcasts. We have Being Jim Davis, a daily chronological Garfield comic strip recap podcast. Lightning Strikes Thrice, a JRPG game club podcast. Magmar Sucks, a show where we stack rank Pokemon based on how interesting their lore is. And last but not least, Boku No Stop, a podcast about anime and low-effort jokes. Thanks for being a loyal listener. We'll see you next time.